1862, there was a fierce storm that broke out in England. There was a man named Augustus, Augustus M. Toplady walking by Barrington Combe Gorge. And the storm was so severe, thundering, thunder, lightning, and all that, and so he escaped into one of the clefts of this burrow, like this little rocky, so he went into that cleft and escaped from the lightning that was happening outside. And while he was waiting there, hoping the storm will pass by him, he rem he was, that particular incident reminded him, him of Exodus chapter 33, where Moses wanted to see God, and God said, I will show you my back, but to protect you from dying by seeing me, I am going to put you in a cleft of a rock, and I will cover you with my hand so that you won't die when you see me. So this gentleman was sitting there, and he was watching this lightning outside. He, that, he was thinking about that, and he wrote this amazing hymn, which we all know, called Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Let me hide myself in thee. It's interesting, in his poetic imagination, that cleft cleft of the rock through which Moses saw God was Christ himself. It was Christ who was the rock of ages. It was Christ whose heart, whose body was cleft so that we could see God. Jesus is the most tangible, most visible expression of God. And if we see Jesus, we see God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Because heart is that tuning device God has given us. You remember last week, one of the most comments I heard was about that antenna story. And, and many people said that reminded of them first reminded of them of their reminded them of the first time they watched TV too because there is always that TV tuning antenna nowadays kids don't even understand what we are talking about all TVs used to have antenna and that you know adjusting the antenna we tune the images and this was you know years ago you say but to be believe it or not we still have an antenna okay i still use and i've never paid for cable television you know yeah, I'm cheap, but it works. <laughs> um, we live right across from Wilson, Mount Wilson. That's where all the antennas of the big television companies, okay? So we just use a rabbit ear antenna. You know, it may not be always clear, but if you shake it, then you get HD. But if you really hit it hard, you will get 4K. I mean, it just, it's, yeah, it's technology. It's all about signal-to-noise ratio, how you balance it, right? So very often, if you think that you don't see God, don't blame God and check the tuning device. Give it a little shake, okay? And it will all work out. Oh, <laughs> it will all work out. Psalms, I think, 86, 116 says, Give me an undivided heart. Undivided heart. 
When, you, when Jesus said pure in heart, that doesn't just mean that it's washed clean by the blood of Christ, which is obviously the basic foundational meaning, but that doesn't make it completely tuned. And we need to have an undivided heart without, with an unmixed motive and with completely dedicated and surrendered, with full of devo devotion to the Lord. And that's when we are tuned to his frequency, and that's when we see God. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word today? Matthew 5, 9, seventh beatitude. Let's read this together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Did you know German Chancellor Adolf Hitler was nominated for Nobel Peace Prize? In 1931, Hitler was nominated for Peace Prize, and this was, a, I'm going to read an excerpt from the nomination letter, the recommendation letter, okay? By his glowing love for peace, earlier documented in his famous book, Mein Kampf, next to the Bible, perhaps the best and the most peace, uh, popular piece of literature in the world. Then it again, it goes, off to, goes on to say, Adolf Hitler is by all means the authentic, God-given fighter for peace. And millions of people all over the world put their hopes in him as the prince of peace, on earth. Now, this is not some Nazi person writing it. This is a Swedish parliamentarian who wrote this recommendation letter. If you want his name, if you want to find him, <laughs> Eric Brandt, 1939, this letter was written. And the biblical references in that letter is so alarming. And it says, Mein Kampf is next to the Bible, the best piece of literature. And Hitler was the God-given fighter for, uh, for peace. And, and he was the prince of peace on earth. The reason I'm reading this, you see, our perception of peace can be so subjective, right? People who fight all wars are ultimately, they say, they are fighting for peace. Almost all the wars in this world is fought for peace. Even what is happening in Ukraine and Russia and both sides, you ask, both sides want peace. Now that goes back to our definition of peace. What do we mean when we say, say peace? When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, what does that even mean for us? Peace to me is, okay, I think I'll use an analogy. You know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, when I, when I switched to ministry and when I decided to go into seminary, and one of the most precious possessions I had was a bookshelf. I loved my books. Back in the days, we used to read books, right? So uh, I had this IKEA bookshelf. I wouldn't allow even Joanne to touch it because when I write something, when I write my essay, write my paper, I want everything to be in order. 
So I had a numbering system. I had probably around, I don't know, 150 books or something. It's not like a big library, but that was big for me. And it, was, uh, it was big for our small two-bedroom uh, student residence. Uh, and uh, so I had a numbering system. I had everything in slots and, you know, the right book at the right shelf. I have systematic theology on one side, world religion on the other side, Christian ethics on another row, and Greek philosophy on the other. So everything has to be perfect when I start writing. Unless the bookshelf is perfect, I cannot write. I cannot think. That, that's, my, that, that's my thing, right? So I would arrange this pretty much every day and so that next day when morning when I get, okay, I, I, have, I have peace so I can write. Now then, we have two other avid readers in the house. And they were three years old and two years old. Three and two, I guess, Anna and Emma. They love systematic theology more than I do. <laughs> so the moment I step out of the house, and they will come and they will grab all the books in the shelf, right? And they read it, and they, they play with it. And in the evening when I come home, Christian ethics is in the, uh, in the kitchen counter, <laughs> and Greek philosophy is under the shelf, and world religion is in the bathtub. It is a complete chaos. And now that's when I know that I, I lost my peace. And they happen to be my kids. Otherwise, I wouldn't let anybody do that to me because that messes up my, my life at the time. It's very difficult for me to sleep unless I go back to that order. Right? See, peace for me is when my mind looks like that bookshelf. Everything is in order. Harmony. The right thing at the right place, then I have peace. That harmony is, in so many ways, in the realm of sound, we call it music. When, when there is a harmony of sound, that's when music happens. The right note at the right place at the right time, right? That's when you have music. Harmony of visuals is beauty. The body of right proportion and right dressing, right shoes, everything fitted nicely. They say, oh, beauty, beautiful, beautiful person, right? That's the harmony. And the same way, harmony of mind is often we think of as peace, peace. And when that is broken, and we, 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 will, we will have chaos and Eventually, we want our life to look like that exact bookshelf. And our life to become like, and I want to have the right education so that I can have the right career and so that I can marry the right person. Then I can go to the right church where there is the right pastor preaching the right sermon. Then I have peace. <laughs> I can, I, can, I can have the right career, I can have, marry the right person, but if I don't go to the right church, I will lose my peace. And if I go to the right church, there is an Indian pastor yelling at you, then I lose peace, right? You need the right pastor talking to you the right thing, the exact thing you want to hear. That's why most of you are here for, right? That's when you have peace. <laughs> now, Jesus said, offered, see, there are, Three different kinds of peace in the Bible, okay? Let me go through it very quickly. 
first one is called peace with self, peace with oneself. I'm going to read from Isaiah 48:22. This is what it says, peace with God. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. That's not what I see, though, in the world. I see a lot of wicked people prosper. They have everything they want. From my angle, they have all peace they need. It's seemingly everything is in the right place, in the right order for them. But you all know that what it means is that internally God has given them this, uh, you know, the, 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 there is a torpedo somewhere inside. It, it is a time bomb ticking, which is called our conscience. And it is very difficult to people, for people to escape from conscience and that God-shaped hole that is haunting them. And I know some of them. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not somebody who hang out with, but, but because of my particular career, I have had the opportunity to hang out some big name people. I have witnessed this. I thought they have everything, but inside. And there is a saying, I don't know who said this, but it says, every man is a walking civil war. I like that. Every man is a walking civil war, internal conflict, and our struggle with conscience that break our peace. And that's what peace with oneself. And the next kind of peace is Romans chapter 12, 18, peace with others, right? If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Now, you know this kind of peace. This is what we call the world peace, right? Or we go in the street and march with that placard which says, no justice, no peace. This is what we mean. We want social harmony. We want everything in the society to be in the right order, at the right place, so that we can have world peace. The government is trying to establish peace with law and order. UN is trying to establish peace among nations. Miss World and Miss America and Miss Universe, they are all trying to establish peace. They all want peace. All world religions say that we want peace. But more people are killed in the name of religion than some of these other institutions I've mentioned. So we all say this, peace, 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 but there is no peace. Why? Because the Bible gives you the key. There's a third kind of peace that only the Bible talks about. Unless and until we start talking about that peace, there is not going to be any peace in the world. And Hitler's will, will, be, will be kept nominated for the so-called peace prizes in this world. That's where the world is heading to right now. So the third kind of peace... Jesus said, I mean, this is uh, the New Testament. Paul said, Romans chapter 5, 1. This is what we call peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus said again, as you know, John chapter 14, 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The peace I am offering is a very, very different kind of a peace. 
We need to have peace with God first, without which we cannot have peace with each other, without which we cannot have peace within ourselves. And unfortunately, churches shy away from that real golden ticket which is given only to the church. The message of the church is that have peace with God. Then you will have the rest of the peace. And that's when sometimes we shy away. And how do we have peace? It's very easy. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to show you a graphics from, you remember four spiritual law? I don't know, some of you think it's very outdated. But that picture in the four spiritual law uh, almost always remind me of that. Uh, can you show that first picture of God's, the, the four spiritual law? Yeah, there it is. You know, some of you are from the 80s or so, you know. Some of you even have PTSD seeing that, right? <laughs> Whatever you say, I've, I've, I've seen many young people discrediting, oh, this is some kind of old method of evangelism. But to me, even now, I, I, to me, this is one of the best ways to understand gospel in itself and also to understand the peace that God uh, established in this world. And it says on one side there is God and the other side there is humanity. And Jesus comes right into the middle to fill that void. Right? And that stick man is supposedly us and we walk through that cross to the other side. So Jesus came and, and be in the middle uh, and stood in the gap and brought this opposing sides which is divinity and humanity or God and human together on his cross and established peace where the law of God and the love of God met on the cross and he established peace between God and humanity and so that is how the cross of Christ brings peace Jesus gives us this different kind of peace which is foundational to all other peace we can see in the world and that should be the message of, 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 the, of the church and that should be the placard we are carrying no cross no peace no cross no peace because on the cross of Christ, Jesus brought these two opposing parties together and the tension was eliminated and or the peace was processed and established. Now the only problem I have with, okay, that's the second, the only problem I have with that picture though, there is a second part of that picture which very often we avoid, which was not mentioned. And I'm going to call it my fifth spiritual law, okay? That was fourth spiritual law. This is my own patented, copyrighted uh, fifth spiritual law. Because Jesus said, you know, the, the problem really with that picture though, that, that fourth spiritual law picture was that on the other side, when you walk through the cross, you see that chair, right? And the chair is meant to be representing God. So you finally arrived and near, near God. So that somehow gives us this picture, oh, finally, we have arrived. We are at the chair. We are with God. Now, you know, it's like sitting on a beach and drinking pina colada. And just we have peace now. We love peace. Who doesn't love peace? And we want to be peace lovers, right? No, but Jesus said, as you know, he didn't say that, be the lovers of peace. He, he didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers, but he said, blessed are the peace makers. Now, peace loving is a very 
passive process. Peacemaking is a very active process, right? See, peace-loving is very often the avoidance of conflict. And I've seen this in church circle, particularly pastors tend to do this. It's very difficult to say no to a congregation member because pastors are expected to be nice and sweet and always say yes. And so when, when somebody asks something, I can't do it. Uh, you know, people, you know, I, I would rather not reply to that email <laughs> than engage and say no. And after a while, people get the message, uh, I don't think the pastor is interested. That's the way it works in our circle, right? Because we avoid conflict because we are peace lovers. But very often, peace lovers are the deterrence to peacemaking process. If you keep avoiding conflict for a long time, and you know, this happens in our families, this happens in our society, all that happens because peace lovers can be a deterrent to peacemaking process. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, actively make peace. And how we do that, that's what was explained in that second picture. Can you put that second picture one more time? Uh, the fifth spiritual law, if you ask me, Jesus, I mean, we, I mean, Jesus is saying that just because I gave you peace, it is not for you just to love the peace and sit on the chair with me. No, I want you to walk through or to the other side where this big widening gap between church and culture. And I want you to do exactly what I did on the cross. I want you to stand in that gap. Hold that tension between the church and the culture. That's your job. Then now the stick man has spread his leg and holding both sides. Now that's not an easy thing. Jesus said, just like I built the bridge, I want you to build the bridge between church and culture. Build, bridge building is not an easy process. A bridge carries the tension of both sides. I would rather be a cantilever. I want to be on one side. You know what a cantilever is, right? The, something which protrudes from one side. I don't want to go to the other side. I want to be in the Christian side, and then I can say, hello, come on in here. Jump across. I will come through my cantilever all the way up to the middle. That's what I can do, because I don't want to experience the tension and the uncertainty and the chaos in the gap. And sometimes people want to be just a moderate. Let's be a Paul. Let's be like a totem ball. Stand like a totem ball right in the middle of the gap. Don't put your hand on anywhere. They are proud to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I don't believe in all that kind of stuff. I'm a very culturally relevant person. And to the culture, they will say, I don't believe in all of this, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. No, that's, that's not what it says. You have to hold the tension of both sides, and that's why peacemaking is such a difficult process. That's why bridge builders very often end up drowning in the water. <laughs> that happens. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers themselves may not have the kind of peace you think everybody else is having, but the kind of peace they have is one that passeth all understanding given by God. And Jesus says, this is the fifth spiritual law. Jesus didn't say, I'm saying. This is the fifth spiritual law. And I believe that Jesus is saying to you, just like what I did on the cross, just how I I, I bridge that gap between God and humanity. 
I want you to go out into the world and be in the middle, hold the tension of church and culture, then you will be called the children of God. I'm going to invite the worship team. Let's say prayer. Even with Jared's testimony, I believe Janine's exhortation to us, there's a theme that you're bringing to our congregation. Help us to take in its full measure what you have accomplished on the cross so that that will propel us to go out into the streets and say, no cross, no peace. Let us send this message out so that the world will hear the, these exclusive, unique, beautiful message given only to the church. And Lake Avenue Church will be the proclaimers of that truth. And we believe that people will be attracted to it, O oh Lord, because you, the Son of Man, when he is lifted up, you said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, and he will attract everyone to himself. We are not here to attract anybody. We are not here to do magic tricks or circus shows. Lord, we pray that you establish the right kind of peace at Lake Avenue Church and Pasadena and beyond and push us to that movement that you have already created in the culture to be the bridge builders between church and culture, so be for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.